Good to be here this morning. Good to see you in the Lord's house. The air conditioning is working great. Amen. I was talking with somebody before church. I remember growing up on Tangier. We didn't have air conditioning back then. But I don't never remember it being that hot. I mean, we had fans. And uh, we had the breeze coming in from Chesapeake Bay that night, or my bedroom did. But I'm sure it got hot. It's hot now. But anyway, I thank the Lord for air conditioners. Praise the Lord for the man that invented them. Amen. How many believes that there is nothing too hard for our God? Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, and I'll read that in a moment. When we look at the world with all of its... uh, trials and its troubles and its tribulations and its heartaches, its uh, problems, its calamities, its distresses, we sometimes ask this question, where is God? Why doesn't he step in? Why doesn't he do something about my situation? And we look at our own lives and we have problems on top of problems, and it seems that our problems have problems. And we wonder, why doesn't God move? Is he not able? Is my situation too big or too strong or too difficult for him? But listen to what Jeremiah said in chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and by your outstretched arm, there is nothing too difficult for you. What a scripture. Amen. His words, I guess, in our vernacular would be, my Lord and my God, if you can make that universe and hang stars out there on nothing, then you can do anything. You made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord. Scientists tell us that we live on one of nine planets that circle the sun. And the sun, which is 93 million miles away from us, gives more energy in one second than mankind has produced from creation. And the sun is much larger than the earth, 800,000 miles in diameter. And the sun, if it were hollow, said it could hold a million planets like ours. And our sun, which is so big, is just one of millions of suns and stars that are in our galaxy, and it's basically a minor star. There is one star, this report said, in our galaxy that gives off 10 million times the power that's generated by our sun. And one million stars the size of our sun could fit within that one star. So in comparison, our sun is tiny, not very big at all, sitting up there 93 million miles away from Earth. And we're told that our galaxy stretches from rim to rim, hundreds, even thousands of light years away. And then we know that light travels at 182,282 miles per second. And our galaxy, the Milky Way, is a relatively small galaxy. And besides that, God knows how many galaxies there are, and God made them all, And he just spoke them into existence, and there they were. 
Some nights when I'm walking my dog, <clears throat> I usually look up at the stars looking for the big dipper, the little dipper. And some nights it's so clear that you can see the, the haze of the Milky Way. And then I come across the scripture this other, the other day from Isaiah 40, chapter, four, chapter 40, verse 26, and it says it rather well. It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. And the one who leads them forth leads their host by number, and he calls them all by name. And because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Now, I don't know how many stars are up there, but God knows. And it says he calls them all by name. Now, what Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you, you made the heavens and the earth, and it's by your great power and by your outstretched arm, there's nothing too hard for you. Father, I come before you this morning, God, so unworthy, so small in light of all of this, but yet you have called me and you chose me even before the foundation of this earth. And what a blessed privilege it is to serve you. With life's turmoils and life's problems, there's still nothing better than to be known as a child of the Most High God. And I give you praise, honor, and glory this hour because of who you are. And I ask God that you would touch our hearts and touch our minds and that your word would just convict us where we needed, need convicting and that we might just leave in better shape than when we first come in here. So praise your mighty, holy name, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. <clears throat> in Christ's name, amen. So let's look at the majesty of this great God's limitless power. In Genesis 18 and 14, the verse reads, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And anything we know that nothing is. And that's really God's question to Abraham. Not Abraham's question. God is telling Abraham, you're going to have a son in your old age. And Abraham's probably thinking about this and running it over in his mind, yeah, right. You forgot how old I am? And God says, hey, is anything too hard for me? And then Jeremiah gives us the answer, no, nothing is too hard for you. But let me tell you some things that God can do because nothing is too hard for him. There's no promise too hard for God to keep. Someone has said that there's 30,000 plus promises in the Bible. Well, I don't know. I haven't counted them. I'm sure someone did or they wouldn't come up with that number. But Titus 1 verse 2 says that God cannot lie. There's no promise in his book that God cannot keep. Do you believe that? If God made the promise, God cannot lie. He's not a politician. There's no promise too hard for God to keep. Secondly, there's no prayer too hard for God to answer. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you, and I'll tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Sometimes when a friend has a problem, and it might be a minor problem, we pray and ask God if he would handle that. But if it's a major problem, we somehow just seem to back away and believe that somehow, some way, 
that it's going to be too difficult for God. What did Jesus say about this in, in Matthew 21, verse 22? He said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And the King James says, and in all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And I believe it's safe to say that when you ask in prayer and when you believe, you'll receive. The great Baptist preacher Adrian Rogers from Memphis, Tennessee, tells a story of how when the Iron Curtain fell, he and the head of Campus Crusade for Christ, Dr. Bill Bright, they went to Russia. Uh, the door had opened up and they went over there and took about a hundred people with them and just was having a great time. He said, just as they were about to go out on the stage to preach and they were allowed to speak about Jesus, and they were allowed to preach Jesus crucified and he's the only way to heaven. He said, the weather began to cloud up and a storm began to roll in. <clears throat> he said, we were in a little house trailer in. We're waiting to go out when this man came in, this Russian official. He said, there's an emergency. We got to close everything down. And he said, uh, but we got the program already. Yeah, he said, but there's too many electric wires running along the ground, and it might be dangerous when the rain starts. And Bishop Rogers said, we've come so far, and we're going to broadcast this across the world back to America. We know that God opened this door. And the man kept saying, well, we've got to close it down. And then he come up with this. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 10 minutes. If it doesn't stop raining in 10 minutes, we're shutting it down. He said, we went to God in prayer and we prayed like this. Oh, Lord God, there's nothing too difficult for you. You see these clouds. You see this rain. And if the rain doesn't stop in 10 minutes, Lord, it's all over. We've got to close it down. He said we were standing under some scaffolding and we started singing, Stop the rain, Lord, stop the rain. Stop the rain, Lord, stop the rain. Eight minutes, it's still raining. Nine minutes, he said it was still raining. Nine and a half minutes, he said it was still raining. Ten minutes, he said God took a squeegee and wiped those clouds away. That sounds just like my Lord. He said, in the bright sky came out and we preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to thousands and thousands of people. Now some people would say, even in Christendom, well, that was just a coincidence. But Bishop Roberts said, you can believe what you want. He said, I believe it's God who hears the prayers of his people. And when we're praying in faith and we're praying in his will, he said, there's no prayer too hard for God to answer. I wonder if we believe that today. And then he goes on to say, God allows us to have obstacles that we might learn to pray in faith. And that brings me to the third thing that God can do. There is no problem too hard for God to solve. Do you have a problem? Well, God specializes in things thought impossible. He may not solve your problem the way you thought it would be solved. But he says in Isaiah 55 and 8, he said, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. But I, I was thinking, 
How many of you, when you were a little boy or a little girl, did you ever wonder how far, how high up was? Did, did, you know, did us tans here, remember, were we the only ones thought things like that? <laughs> I mean, how far can you go before you reach the edge or the end or infinity? Well, that's how, how high God's ways and God's thoughts are above our thoughts. And again, I say that God may not solve the problem the way you want him to solve it. He may do it on a, a different level, time level, because he lives in eternity and we occupy time. And God may do it with a different uh, technique level. We may be telling him how to do it, and God says, no, I'm not going to do it like that. And I can imagine when, when Saul was wrecking havoc on the church, and the church was praying, oh God, kill him before he kills all of us. But God didn't do that, did he? His man Ananias in Acts chapter 9 Verse 11 and 12, God said to him, he said, Ananias, he said, Saul's down there in town. He said, I want you to go down to Straight Street and I want you to pray for him that he might receive his sight. See, God did not strike him dead. God struck him alive and he became a mighty apostle for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God works with, with different technique levels than what you and I work with. But even so, there's no problem, no problem whatsoever that's too hard for God to solve. But then the fourth thing, there is no person too hard for God to save. God can save anyone. Amen? If they'll come to him, Isaiah 1 and 18 said, he said, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sin be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When some of us came to Jesus, there were those who thought it or may have even said it. I'll give him six weeks. He'll be back doing what he always did. You know, they probably said that about me. And well, it's been 40 years and I'm still going on for Jesus. They probably said it about some of you. See, but I want you to know Jesus is a way maker. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. He'll make a way where there is no way. And he will keep that which you have committed to him against that day. And I can tell you that Jesus is for us and not against us. That he loves us with a never-ending love. Amen? But now there's the mystery of man's Limiting power. God's is limitless, but man, he is, is limiting. Now, here's the second point. I want you to see it. God, I said, has limitless power. Man's is limiting power. Did, but did you know that mere man, puny man, can limit almighty God? Psalm 78, verse 41. Yes, again and again, it says, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. King James says they turn back. He's talking about Ephraim and the children of God and the rebellion of, of the nation of Israel and limited the Holy One of Israel. Mere men, two-legged men who had breath in their nostrils, they limited or turned back the Holy God of Israel. Now, I just read that there's nothing too hard for God and God can do anything and yet they limited God. Now, 
The word belief in the Hebrew language literally means to set a, a horizon. Now, if we can make a verb out of the word horizon, it would be something like, they horizoned the God of Israel. That is, the horizon is so far as you can see. And you get up on a tall building and you look and the curvature of the word earth begins to fall away. And so the horizon is as far as you can see. There's more, but you cannot see further because of this horizon. So what the Bible says here, what these people said, this is as far as we can see. This is all that we can see that God can do. So they limited God. That's the way it's translated in King James. They put a horizon on God. God the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, is limited or horizoned by man himself, and yet God allowed it to be so. You say, well, I thought he was almighty, preacher. He is, but there's a mystery. The Almighty allowed himself to be bound or fettered or chained or horizoned. So an example is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and they came to carry him away to judge him and to crucify him. And Scripture says in Matthew 27, the first two verses, he said, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor. Now, this is Jesus. This is the one who really made the universe. All things were made by him, John 1 and 3 says. And without him was not anything made that was made. So this was God in human flesh. And yet they bound him. They, they, they handcuffed the Lord of glory. Now, that's an amazing thing in and of itself. That Jesus would allow himself to be bound. It wasn't that he had no control over the matter. When the disciples wanted to defend him, when Peter wanted to defend him, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 53, he said, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. The King James says, I could ask my father and he would send more than 12,000 or 12 legions of angels. Well, there's 6,000 angels in one legion. So here he says, more than 12 legions. That's a lot of angels. Peter, I don't need you to defend me. I got thousands of angels that are chomping at the bit, ready to come down here and get me off of this cross or get me out of this situation. Listen. It wasn't that Jesus was helpless. It wasn't that he was overpowered, but he allowed him to bind him. I read in the Bible in 2 Kings 19 where one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. One angel. What could 12 legions of them do? So Jesus could have called them, but he didn't. Now here's the Lord Jesus. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they come, and Jesus holds out his hands. There's no struggle. He allows them to bind him. Think about that. Those hands that was ready to be bound 
were healing hands. Those hands were hands that wanted to bless. Those hands that had cooled fever, brought fevers that had come across young people and old people alike. There were hands that strengthened crippled feet or crippled limbs. There were hands that had unstopped deaf ears and opened blinded eyes. And these were the same hands that one time stopped a funeral procession and gave a weeping mother back her, her young son. These were the hands that fed multitudes. These were omnipotent hands and nothing was too hard for the owner of these two hands, amen? But these hands were now bound. And the one who could have called 12 legions allowed himself to be fettered. Now listen, there's some ways if you're not careful, you can limit God. You can bind the hands that want to bless. Now you know there, there's one way we could do that. It is an unwilling spirit. Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives and is coming toward the city of Jerusalem. And halfway down the mount, he stops and he's riding this little colt, the wild donkey. And he stops and he weeps and tears are coming down his face. And the Greek language says literally that he sobbed with a broken heart. Listen to what he said, Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. But you were not willing. I was willing, but you weren't. You were unwilling. I wanted to bless you. I would have reached out and I would have brought you into my bosom, but you were not willing. Jerusalem. I've done so much for you, and I wanted to do much more. But see, in order for him to do what he wanted to do, they had to be willing. Did you know that there are probably some people in this room this morning that are not saved? Think about that. God wants to save you, but you must be willing. I'll give an invitation when I finish this message. And I'll invite you to come to Jesus. I'll tell you that he's the only way that you can get to heaven. But if you're not willing, there's not enough angels in heaven or out of heaven to drag you to an altar or to an aisle. God would not allow it. Jesus said, I would have blessed you, Jerusalem, but you wouldn't have let me. Now there are some people, not necessarily here, but there are people who believe in something called irresistible grace. That if God's going to save you, He's going to save you whether you want to be saved or not. But that friend is not so. In Shinkatig vernacular, that ain't so. You have the privilege, the dubious privilege. To say no to the Lord. He said, I would, but you would not. And God has limitless power, but man has limited power. An unwilling spirit can bind the hands of Jesus. But how about this one? An un, 
unconcerned attitude. I'll tell you something else. An unconcerned attitude. Not an unwilling, but just simply indifference. Jesus in the book of Revelations in chapter 3, verse 20, he's talking to the Laodicean church. And here's how he describes himself there. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I will come in to him. Now I said, Jesus has limitless power. Do you think there's a door that could keep Jesus out? No. But here we have in the Bible, standing at the door knocking. Holman Hunt paints a picture, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. Jesus is standing there at this door with this lantern. Uh, the vines have grown, you know, all around the door. Someone's on the inside. Jesus wants to come in. But if you look at Hunt's painting, you'll find there's no latch on the outside. The latch is on the inside. And, and evidently, the person on the inside, he can hear the knocking, but, but he's so unconcerned that he does not open the door. Is that not our day in which we live? People are unconcerned about the things of God, and yes, even God himself. I've preached long enough to know that some preaching is like pouring water on a rock. They hear, but they don't seem to hear. They hear, but they're unconcerned. Jesus may be knocking at someone's heart this morning, and he wants to come in. He wants to have fellowship with you as an individual, but you have limited the Holy One of Israel, but you can change that situation. I don't know how much of God you have, but I'll tell you this much, all of us in here have all that we want. If you don't have any more, then it's because we don't want any more. Amen? Jesus wants all of us, but we cannot afford to be indifferent. And then there's a third thing, an unreasonable mindset. Not just an unwilling spirit or an unconcerned attitude, but an unreasonable mindset. There, there are some people who are so unreasonable that their lack of reason handcuffs the Lord. That's the reason the Bible says in Isaiah 1 and 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But if we refuse to reason, if we refuse to use the God-given ability to be reasonable, then we can fetter the Lord or bind Him, and our sins remain as scarlet. They'll never become white as snow because we'll not come in reason with the Lord. Have you ever listened to, to some of the unreasonable ways that people think and talk and act when it comes to spiritual things? You talk to some, they'll say, I'd like to invite you to come to church with me. What do you, what do you say? Well, I, I don't think I want to go to church. Why? Well, when I was a little boy, my mother made me go to church. So I, I don't think I want to go now. And, and, you know, you think, well, I imagine that same mom made him take a bath every once in a while. <laughs> right? So I guess now he don't have to take a bath anymore. There's some dumb things people can say to you, ain't it? Somebody else might say, listen to this one, too many hypocrites in the church. They're hypocrites in every area of life. You can buy a dozen eggs and one of them can be a hypocrite. <laughs> some lawyers are not honest. Not our lawyer. 
Some doctors are quacks. Some money is counterfeit. But if you're in a difficult situation and, and you need a lawyer, you can find one, right? If you're sick, you can find a doctor. And if you have not yet burned all the money you have for cash, the reason you haven't, because some money is fake. You know that the hypocrite only proves the validity of that which is real. Why do men counterfeit $100 bills and not gum wrappers? It's the counterfeit that pays tribute to the real. Every hypocrite is a testimony to the validity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some will say, I'd like to be a Christian, but there's just so much I'll have to give up. Well, the only thing God asks you to give up are the things that will hurt you. It's like a person say, well, I'd like to be healed, but I just don't want to give up my cancer. See, that's how dumb it is. <laughs> the Bible says in, in Psalm 84 and 11, the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Amen? So what I'm trying to say is, if you have an unreasonable mindset, you can use superficial, asinine reasoning and say no to God who is more than enough and wants to give you eternal life. But when you stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment and realize that you fettered him, you tied his hands by an unreasonable spirit and your sins, though they, they're still scarlet, when they could be white as snow, and you know what you'll say? What a fool I've been. Again, you can limit God by unwillingness, by unconcern, by unreasonableness, and then you can limit God with an unclean lifestyle. Did you know if you harbor sin in your heart, you've limited God and kept God from answering your prayers? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What's he saying? God has not failed to answer prayer because he's weak. He failed to hear our prayer because he's not going death. No, God's alive and well, and his arm is mighty, and his hearing is just fine. Remember what it said, Jeremiah 32, 17. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. But because of our unwillingness or unconcern or unreasonableness, and what happens, our sins have separated and come between us and God, and our iniquities have hid his face from us. So you have limited his saying, the Holy One of God, fettered Jesus, handcuffed the Lord, who wants to bless, heal, and deliver. So I ask you, is there something that you're holding on to? I did a funeral yesterday for a 33-year-old young man. And there was, there was not, maybe I'd have, there was only four or five older people there. The rest were, looked like they were anywhere from 18 to 30. And packed with young people. And these kind of funerals, they're not easy. So you preach to the people that are out there. And they were weeping and wailing, some of them. 
And then you can only give them hope in who Jesus is and what Jesus can do and what he wants to do. And, and I made this statement at the end of my message. I said, if this young man could have suddenly come back right now, do you know what he would say to you? He would say, don't put off accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Well, I'm saying it too. Supposedly, we're all Christians in here today, but I doubt it. Don't put off till tomorrow because you might be in Mandy's funeral home this afternoon. Don't put off till tomorrow. All you got to do is look at our government, look at our world, and see all hell's breaking loose somewhere at some time, day or night. And even the politicians are getting shook up because they don't know what to do. Our president, he surely don't know what to do. And, and, and everything seems to be getting chaotic. We better seek first Jesus Christ, hadn't we? So anyway, God's alive and God's well. So again, is there anything that you might be holding on to? And is it worth limiting, setting a horizon on the Holy One of Israel? Is it worth binding or handcuffing the hands that want to bless? Remember, Isaiah, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. But then there's a fifth thing, an unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart. One last thing that may limit our God, that may fetter our Savior, and handcuff his hands that wants to bless, and probably it's the culmination of all of these. An unbelieving spirit or an unbelieving heart. Sin's terrible, isn't it? But the worst sin, the mother's sin, the father's sin, the sin of all sins is unbelief. Unbelief is devastating. Jesus worked in Nazareth. He was a carpenter's son, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Now the Bible says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, and he did not many works there because of their unbelief. Could he do mighty works? Absolutely. Did he have miracle working power in his hands? He surely did. Was there anything too hard for him? No. And yet the Bible says he did not many works there because of their unbelief. Faith, belief, it's the channel through which the risen Lord pours his life into each one of us. So, now that's the message. The majesty of God's limitless power. There's no prayer too hard for God to answer. There's no promise too hard for God to keep. There's no person too hard for God to save. And there's no problem too hard for God to solve. The only thing that lies outside of God's power is that which lies outside of His will. But we can limit God. And we can limit him by our unwillingness, by our unconcern, by our unreasonableness, by our uncleanness, and by our unbelief. So, I want you to stand with me. I want you to bow your heads for a moment.
Now, I want you to just go through that list. Have you been unwilling? Have you been unconcerned? Have you been unreasonable? Are you unclean? <clears throat> Are you unbelieving? Any of these things can bind the hands that want to bless. Remember, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks, but, but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't allow me to. And I said I was going to give an invitation for people to receive Christ. But again, you have to be willing. So are you willing? As Jesus stretches out from heaven his nail-scarred hands and says, I want to save you. And he stretches down that hand of love. Are you willing to reach up with a hand of faith and put your hand of faith in his hand of love? Would you like to be saved? Would you like to draw closer to the Lord, Christian? Would you like to have less of you operating in this life and more of the Spirit of God? Sure you would. I heard a preacher this morning say three things he does every day of life. He reads the Word of God, he prays, and he does everything during the day to make sure that he makes his wife happy. Now that was three pretty good things, don't you agree? Read the word and pray every day. If we don't do it, then we can short circuit what God is trying to do because we can even become unconcerned and we can become unwilling to do what the Lord is wanting to do. But if you want to be saved here this morning, then I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And I need to be saved. This preacher says that you died on a cross to save me. And that you promised to save me if I trust you. I trust you, Lord, with the best of my ability coming to my heart right now. And I repent of my sin. And I put my hand of faith in your hand a hand of grace and I give you my heart and my life and I trust you Lord to be that my Lord and my Savior take control of my life and begin from this moment to make me the person that you want me to be and to the Christians that are here Lord I feel so miserable at times and I fail miserably at times. I just want some peace and I want to get back to that place where I was with you some time ago. Here I am, Lord. Fill my cup one more time. I lay myself at your altar and take anything and everything away from me that doesn't belong there and I give it to you gladly and replace it with your Holy Spirit. And if we do that, Church Jesus will respond to those kind of praise. And just before we do come and pray, I want us to gather around the altar. I know you pray there at your seat, but never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving Jesus Christ 
Be joyful in hope, uh, patient when you're being afflicted, and even faithful in your prayers. And the God who is and was shall forever be by your side. And when the trumpet sounds, then you'll go out to meet him in the air and to forever be with him. Well, Brandon begins to sing something. Would you just step out from your seat and come up here and pray?